How are you guys doing? Chinese Magic Family. This is your host Mark Karaki. Super excited to be bringing you yet another episode of the podcast. Uh guys, it's hard to believe that we are almost at the end of 2019. uh the year just barely got started and here we are in 2020 uh on the on the on the eve of 2020 this year has has just kind of blown by uh the chini magi podcast is now a year old our first episode went live in in october of 2018 so the podcast is officially a toddler now so far we've published 40 episodes had 30 guests come on sharing their stories knowledge and experiences in the startup game And the reason we started the podcast was because we wanted to democratize startup building knowledge uh, to help others who are coming behind who are coming behind those who've gone before to learn from their experiences uh, and avoid unnecessary mistakes. And I think in some measure we've achieved some success towards that uh, that goal. Uh, this week we continue in that in that very same spirit in that same vein. We have an amazing guest for you on the podcast. We have the indefatigable William Gidwi who is currently director of finance at Moringa School. where he's been at the center of helping that company close a significant round of funding which you may have heard about or you will be hearing about soon. Previously William was on the investor side as investment manager at Alpha Mundi which is a local venture fund that invests in growth stage companies in Kenya and beyond. So as an investor and now an operator William is a young professional who has been on both sides of the of the entrepreneurial equation and despite that he's still one of the nicest most humble reliable high integrity people I know. Him and others like him represents the hope we can all have in the future of Silicon Savannah. In my experience ecosystems are built on the backs of talented, committed people. And and William is is slowly but surely becoming one of those pillars in our own ecosystem. Listen and learn from the man. Enjoy the podcast. Hi guys, we're Chini Magic Family. Uh welcome to another edition of the Chini Magic Podcast. Uh super excited to have uh, a guest who in my mind is is one of I'll call you a Swiss army knife right now, man, because <laughs> you 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 definitely uh bring a certain skill set and certain perspective that is so relevant to our growing ecosystem right now. Mm-hmm. Uh William Gidwi, uh director of finance at Moringa School, um and formerly investment manager at Alpha Mundi, right? Yes. So you yes. have You have sat on both sides of the of the table, if you yeah. will, in mm-hmm. in terms of the uh what what I call the entrepreneurship um life cycle or, mm-hmm. or equation, if you mm-hmm. will. Um and so it's super great to have you. I think you're Thank emblematic you. of where our ecosystem is today, um just in terms of where we where we are in, in our maturation stage, right? People mm-hmm. who have actually done investments Mm-hmm. people who have actually been operators. Yeah. And now you're seeing a flowering of that and a scaling of that and it's super exciting mm-hmm. because maybe 10 years ago you would never have heard people with that skill set, right? Mm-hmm. In our ecosystem. Right now yeah. we have people like yourself and it's a great time to build a career in 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 Nairobi in Silicon yeah. Savannah, right? Yeah. And and you in my in my view I, I I you represent for me what what the future potential of this place is you and many many other people mm-hmm. uh, i see you i see a, a bright future ahead for you and i see a bright future ahead for 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 our country our nation our for africa with with people like you kind of driving some of these uh new realities and yeah. new, new new capabilities bringing them to market so with that said uh mr william gilloway welcome mm-hmm. to the chini magic podcast thank you thank you very much um first of all mark thank you so much for having me a bit i've had Uh, a couple of his podcasts before and I've been pretty inspired just understand entrepreneur stories and the like so um you know really honored to be here yeah. today awesome yeah yeah you're welcome dude uh you and I have known each other since I started making my move yeah to, <laughs> to from 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 the bay area to kenya and you were instrumental in that process i know i remember the first conversation we had yeah Um how did we even get connected? Did I just reach out on LinkedIn or how was yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, actually I think you just reached out on LinkedIn. Um I replied, we got onto a call. Um we we talked a bit about the space here. I mentioned right. one of the companies um that we worked with and what you're doing and I think I connected you to one of the guys there. Yeah. Um and I think uh, I think from there yeah, I'd say just one thing came one, one thing led to another. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. yeah, so you connected me with Kane uh, yeah, at, at Trigger Kane. Foods. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we became a good buddy and uh he's on our advisory board for for Impact Africa Network. Yes. So I got to say man um like I said you know we have a history and I, I think even a brighter future. Yep. Uh, I, I agree. Super excited about it. But anyway so um 
you know, the way the podcast works, as, I, as I've already mentioned to you, is very narrative-driven mm-hmm. uh, because that's the easiest way to kind of communicate anything yeah. for the most part. So, yeah. you know, to tell the audience, you know, your background, where you went to school, yeah. uh, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, mm-hmm. and what your trajectory was to, to, to your career, yeah. and then we'll, we'll kind of take it from there. All right, cool. So, um, I went to school here in Kenya. So, actually, I'm, I'm one of those guys, uh, I've... I've not gone outside yet mm-hmm. to get education, uh, but I, I just might moving forward. Um, so I did uh, my um, undergraduate degree in finance in university, United States International University, USIU, Kenya. Mm-hmm. Um, and I completed uh, in 2012, but I started working before then, before completion. Um, and I, I majored in finance and also started doing my CFAs, um, of which I'm like kind of midway of actually trying to finish those off. Um, Right off the bat, I started off actually working for my dad in, in recruitment, of which I did for about one year. And I, that's, that's where I kind of got a feeling of, hmm, this is, these are the kind of careers that are actually doing well. These are the guys who are earning well, these are, and these are the careers where um, there's this much demand. You, you kind of, you, I could kind of see from a very high level from the mm-hmm. kind of queries that we're getting that mm-hmm. people want these types of skills. And this mm-hmm. one mainly in like um, investments, IT-related and very, very senior positions um, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in product, uh, FMCG, ETC. Um, then on, I went to investment banking for where I was there for about almost four years. Um, investment bank here locally called FIDA Investment Bank. Um, they started off by doing equity research. Uh, this is like research on the companies listed on the stock exchange, giving out recommendations, building out the financial models and, uh, like, you know, and the, the types of pricing that this stock should be at. Then finally moved into a more investment bank kind of a corporate finance role where I started doing like rights issues. Um, I did the rights issue for Kenjen, Jamibora Bank, and a couple of other companies on the side. And that's when the, the interest to work with companies uh, more intimately um, actually arose mm-hmm. within me. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, just like towards the end of that, that was actually towards 2015, mm-hmm. I made the shift from that investment bank to Alpha Money Group. Okay. Um, and in Alpha Money Group, it was... It was a really, really good experience. Um, I was employee number two, and um, it was we were right at the forefront of trying to build out the Kenya portfolio at that point in time. I think we only had about like um, three or four companies at the point of time. Uh, at my point of exit, we had almost uh, about almost twelve. Oh, wow. at, okay. at that so point, you grew that time. portfolio from zero essentially. Um, yeah, yeah. There were a few like two or three legacy okay. investments that we okay. found, but okay. then we, we actually brought in a, a couple of others: um, sector agnostic, um, fintech, logistics. Um, Microinsurance, FMCG, renewable energy, agriculture. Um, so it was a really good experience being at the forefront of building out that portfolio. Awesome. Yeah. So let's take a step back. You talked about you know your experience uh, working with uh, the investment bank, mm-hmm. and that exposed you to a whole other kind of. I guess what what are the lessons you took from that? What were the insights you took that clearly from from your working with your dad, you kind of were able to get a high level view of where the opportunities were, right? Mm-hmm. So that kind of informed your decision making in terms of, okay, uh, w- where you might want to place yourself career-wise, right? Yeah. A- yeah. And then you chose after that to do the investment bank thing. Yeah. What did you, what were the key takeaways from that experience? What were some of the lessons or insights you gained from that? Um, that's a really good question. I think I can provide both on a professional and a personal level. So I think on a professional level, it was always to take a step back. Um, in investment banking, the, the training is quite, quite rigorous, especially if you want to be like a master top dogs, if you want to be a voice that's to be had, not just locally, but internationally. Mm-hmm. And most of our clients were international, big uh, funds from you know, the States and Europe, ETC. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that type of training, you're always taking a step back. You're always looking at things from a very macro, eagle-eyed point of view of like where are the tectonic shifts happening. The global trends. Exactly. Like global trends. And also like um, industry-specific and company-specific trends. Right. And always taking that step back. Also, right now in my operational role, um, always, always helps. Right. Um, and you're always trying to look at our, like, where's the inflation heading? Where's the economy heading? What's the political situation? And how would you, are we going to... Um, um, position ourselves just to be the right place right time when what we think is going to happen happens awesome. um, yeah. so that was like from a professional perspective I think from a personal perspective it was more of um, there's actually value in actually going deep at times to better understand your companies that you're working with and I think that's what made me make the shift to actually become um, to go into Alpha Money to become an investment manager because if you are too high level of the time you know um, speaking 
just you know GDP figures, etc., etc. You can really it's very easy for you to lose touch on what really needs to happen on the ground right. for a company to move towards that direction. Right. And when I was working with companies on the corporate finance side in uh, Fida Investment Bank. What was happening is that I, I had to get really intimate with the management and the board of directors and you know, a, few, a few key employees to really understand, ah, this is what you really want to achieve. Mm-hmm. If you really want to achieve this, then um, I think this would be the best capital structure for you. Or mm-hmm. you may need to reduce costs on this side, mm-hmm. or you may need to um, get this type of technology to make you more nimble, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, I think that was the biggest takeaway, mm-hmm. that you... Mm-hmm. you it's not just a touch and go, it's a relationship that you build over time. Interesting. So you were in this environment where you, you had to take the 10,000 foot view, but you also needed to actually get in close yeah. intimate kind of engagement mm-hmm. with, with your investees, so to speak, right? Yes, and then yes, now yes. Alpha Mundi maybe even made that much more even more intimate? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So with Alpha Mundi... Um, and what does Alpha Mundi yeah. do? Just maybe describe a little bit of what oh, they do. Yeah, for sure. So Alpha Mundi, it's a Swiss-based impact investor, mm-hmm. um, and they have operations in um, Switzerland, um, North America, and uh, East Africa for mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, they focus mainly on impact investments in the renewable energy space and agriculture space, but they also are a bit sector agnostic. A bit of their portfolio can go towards other sectors like fintech, microinsurance. Um, logistics, etc. Mm. Um, Define impact investing yeah. from your perspective, because this is always <laughs> a very controversial thing. That's a very controversial really? topic. Actually, <laughs> it's quite a broad definition. Right. I think people have these days, but uh, how I see it is is uh, investing in a social good. Okay. And this is anything investing. It's basically investing in Africa. Let's invest, uh, you could say investing <laughs> in Africa. Investing in emerging markets. Yeah, right. Let's say that because we have. As well as I'm concerned, emerging <laughs> Africa, man. Shit. There's, there's South America. There's um, the Mexicos and the, you know, the Narcos. I'm sure you guys watch Narcos. <laughs> Those guys need investment they, too. They, they, <laughs> they're doing a different kind of investment. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, so it's, it's basically just investing in emerging markets or uh, sub-Sahara Africa, is yeah. uh, how yeah. Mark likes to put it, but also in um, investing towards sustainability, in, and, and that's the, the biggest premise. Mm. And in that sense, you may be willing to compromise returns, just maybe below market returns. For some people, they're willing to compromise that, and for others, they believe that you can actually uh, get both of them at the same time. Mm. And for in Alpha Mundi, we were of the, the latter opinion. Mm. And we managed to do that mainly through debt. And we were So your belief was you could do good and well, make, money. make money at market rate. At market rate. Yeah, this is a very interesting thing. This is an impact investing thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because this the, the capital structures around the world, right, yeah. have shifted in the last few years like to this impact investing theme, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's a positioning thing, right? You wanna, you're a fund manager, mm-hmm. you want to access that, that, that money. <laughs> you access it's that a, money. It's, a, it's always a storytelling thing and a yep. positioning thing. So, but anyway, um, I guess I maybe should... let's dig a little deeper and say, what are some of the, um, I guess, frictions, drawbacks that, that the impact investing space has, right? Mm. What What... Okay, that's, that's a really good question. I think what I'll do, maybe I'll just take a step back again mm. and give, give it some sort of analogy yeah, on what yeah, like impact yeah. investing could, right. could be. Right. Like, for example, right now in Kenya, we had, well, it's just been repealed, but we had the interest rate cap. Right. And with this interest rate cap, we had the big traditional, you know, big dogs, traditional banks stepping back away from the normal Wanjikos and mm. the normal Wanainchi. Mm. From giving them loans, mm. but there's someone else who stepped in, mm. seeing an opportunity mm. to do so. Mm-hmm. And in that, in, in that sense, you could almost, in a way, define that as impact investing because these guys came in and gave the little guys um, access to funding when the big dogs weren't, mm-hmm. and they managed to make money off of that. Yes, there there could be there's a bit of a gray area. There's, yes, it's exploitative. But they, they in what s- sense is it expected? Just curious. Because it sounds like it's all good. Yeah, it sounds like it's all good, but people have said that some of the interest rates are ridiculous. Uh, okay. And when you do the annual returns on these uh, interest rates, they're almost like 300% Whoa. annualized. Whoa. But some people have actually... So it's basically... It's almost like I'd rather get some money from the narcos at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because you're really sucking my life. Exactly. exactly. And there's, wow. there's one reason why this guy stepped away. 
uh, the big dogs. Because they thought when you say the big dogs, you mean this is the traditional banks. We're talking about the KCB, the equities, okay. and why okay. they didn't step up to the smaller Monenchi, okay. which, which they're just trying to starting to kind of do so now. Okay. Uh, which I think they're kind of behind the wheels of like the Talas and the branch yeah. TC. Yeah. But basically, they thought that the risk profile didn't match the kind of return that mm-hmm. they were getting, mm-hmm. and because that that was because they were constrained by the interest rate, interest rate cap. So See, they were constrained, but these non-regulated these non-regulated guys, businesses, startups, yeah, were not regulated by but the same interest cap. Exactly, because they, it only applied to banks. It only applied to banks, and banks take deposits from the public company. Right. And these guys, no, they normally don't. It's yeah. their own funded money. It's own funded, and they yeah. can do this. It's private money, basically. Exactly. Mm. And if you th- if you take a look back and you step back into apply that kind of concept into impact investing, right. in a way, it's almost kind of like the same thing. Okay. Because most of what happens in impact investing, most of the companies you'll find are very idea stage, early stage, mm-hmm. need some grant funding, mm-hmm. and there's no way, it's very hard that a bank is going to come in, look at those cash flows, look at your losses, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to give you a just $100,000 loan. And they don't probably don't have the structure for it in terms of the people capacity process. Exactly. No, no even the expertise, because they, they are only very used to looking at profit of cash flow positive businesses and two, do you have collateral? That's it. Like, do you have a car? Do you have a, do you have a plot to go in rail? Right, right. And if you have, can you give me that logbook? Can you give me that title? Ah, there. Mm-hmm. Cool. There's your, there's your 50,000 shilling loan, mm-hmm. ETC. Mm-hmm. And impact firms, in a way, are kind of like this talas and branch that we're seeing. Okay. These guys are willing to actually absorb those fast losses. Okay. And by doing so, depending if you're an They'll price guy, them into their risk structure. Ex- exactly. Hence the 300%. Which exactly. you, I mean, you, you know, in a way, you can... What do you think? So, do you think, uh, given the risk-adjusted return, is it too like? Is it is it is there is the risk high enough to justify those interest rates? Is one um, to be honest, I actually believe they are. Okay. To be honest, I actually believe they are because these are. If you again taking the analogy, this is you're, you're lending to someone who you have no record of. Right. Re- no record of. You're just right. looking at his texts. Yeah. Of yeah. Mbessa, yeah. and you don't know where he lives, you don't know anything about him, you don't know his, whether he gets a constant salary or not, or yeah, constant income stream. You yeah. just, a guy has walked in, he's applied, and you're giving him a loan. Yeah. There's not even a proper wage price then. So, actually, to be honest. So, maybe, so, so maybe, so maybe uh, that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that is an evolving kind of space mm. because at the end of the day, it behooves you, it behooves somebody to reduce that risk and that's having a better situation better kind of solution if you exactly. will right yeah of course data is a problem but at the end of the day it's like uh but it's not in the in the short term it's kind of not in the interest of the company who's the startup right because yeah. they're they're operating based on where they are and mm-hmm. the inputs that they have to evaluate that risk right yeah but my sense is maybe we are moving towards a much more uh, transparent, a much more controllable situation that will minimize the risk profile and mm-hmm. reduce that interest rate. Mm-hmm. I think it's, we're just looking at a at a facet of the market as it is today, right? Yeah. I need to manage my risk. I don't know. This is all I have. I have a blunt instrument, and that's I need to have a high interest rate. Mm-hmm. Are we going into where we can actually have much more? Uh, uh, for want of a better term, much more surgical approach, reduce that gap between my risk and therefore reduce the interest rate? Um, yes, I think, I think we're definitely, I think the past 24 to 36 months, we've made leaps and bounds in okay. doing that. Okay. And I think this is mainly, well, we have a couple of more credit reference bureaus, but I think they can only help to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. What's really helping is uh, technology mm-hmm. and how technology is actually um, helping to... Um, throw out a wider net of the data that could be captured, right. that could be used to actually calculate the risk that this person has. Right. And uh, I think those types of data structures weren't really existent maybe three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. But they're, not, they're actually now becoming more and open existent. Mm-hmm. More people holding various types of data are more open to share. Mm-hmm. And if that once that works and technology is brought in, and I think this is how the talent branch do it, these guys have over you know, a thousand data points on a person just by, you know, ETC logging into their social media and checking their texts and doing and seeing other things. And they're able to see, ah, this guy is a guy who actually pays his rent on time. This guy is actually a person who does, um, who pays off his other M'shwari loan on time. We, this is a guy we can actually 
loan to mm. and we can only loan to them this much. Mm. So yes, I actually think we are moving towards that direction. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Cool. So anyway, so you were talking about Alpha Mundi and, and, and uh, how it got you closer to mm -hmm. the operational side, mm. evaluating individual investments. How was how different was that from FIDA Investment Bank? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I think in, in Alpha Mundi, and I think everyone still has to learn and iterate on how you do the due diligence of these companies. You, you, you have to go really wide, you know, it's depth and breadth at the same time. And what I'm talking about is with, with FIDA Investment Bank, what we were doing before is just a very high level of financials, just like a very high level discussions with the board and the management and you have, I'm like, hmm, I have my inputs for my financial model, I can go put these numbers in and I can mm -hmm. give up my high level mm -hmm. assumption of what this price should be. Mm -hmm. um, with Alpha Mundi, you, it, it kind of forces you to actually spend time with this company. And you're talking about you know, days or even weeks with this company, mm -hmm. um, trying to understand each and every department, each and every nook and crook, their processes, mm -hmm. what works for them, what hasn't worked, mm -hmm. their learnings, um, and what they've always done well and they've improved on. And that, that involves um, a lot of on-site, um, on-site interviews, on-site uh, double-checking or the, the kind of documents that they're using. Um, you have to talk to the people behind the scenes, scenes, not just the employees, but you have to talk to the customers, mm -hmm. you have to talk to their suppliers, you're talking to their... They are equity investors, the mm. guys who have invested in them and the guys who want to invest in them. Mm. So you're doing due diligence all around. All, around. all, all stakeholders, all, so it's all a full, touch points basically. Exactly. So it's mm. a full 360 that you're doing on this company. Mm. And <clears throat> you, you have to talk to everyone that interacts with it to actually get a good feel of, yes, this is, this is the company that we want to invest in. Because if you hear a supplier saying, oh, no, this guy is only paying me once in six months. And because of that, actually, I don't think I'm going to supply them at the next batch. It's a risk. It's a risk that's that's, that's already flag. a red flag. Yeah. If you have a customer saying, oh, um, I tried this, but when I sent this with their app, it only came once or twice, and all the other times it hangs ETC, yep. then that's, that's a risk. That's right. a risk. Obviously, the company itself won't tell you. Right. That's something that, you know, you they have to check with the customers, man. Exactly. <laughs> and so, so, so this is interesting. So uh, what are some of the patterns that you note, noted about l entrepreneurship in this in this market, right? Like you've mm. evaluated a lot of businesses, a lot of uh, founders. What are some of the things that? What are the learnings that you take away? You say, okay, these are the types of entrepreneurs we have in this space, and these are the gaps that they maybe categorize them, and then mm -hmm. say, if you can unpack that for us, Kidogo. Oh, that, that's a really <laughs> that's a really touchy <laughs> subject. <to be> honest. <laughs> Look. Reality is reality. It's not going to go away because we don't talk about it. True, true, true. You know true. what I mean? So, yeah. And it's not about you. It's yeah. for, you're reporting like what you've seen. Exactly, there, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, So to be honest, I've seen, like, I've seen entrepreneurs on, on you know, both extremes. Mm -hmm. um, and very, very, very little, very few of them in the middle. Mm. And I'm seeing some really good entrepreneurs who actually have a really good grip on operations but not a really good grip on actually how to sell themselves and how to fundraise. Okay. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's been very heartbreaking to see someone you really, really want to support not being able to actually fundraise and get support from other people. So, so, well. talk, so, talk about, so I'm good on operations, but I can't attract capital because there's a certain way you have to sell yourself. This is, mm -hmm. So define what, that, what is that? So, You're an investor, yeah. right? So how, do I, how does that happen? What, what, what is missing? So, uh, that's, a good, that's a good question. So I think what's really missing is um, the storytelling. The storytelling and the numbers that support the storytelling behind okay. it. Okay. And I think most, uh, some of the entrepreneurs that haven't really gotten capital up to date is they, they don't know really how to tell the story, how to sell the bigger picture of what the company is doing right. or could go if it gets more capital. Right. And most of them have just kind of said, like, oh, they, are the, they kind of like really focus on the operational short-term um, short nice victories or efficiencies on like oh my gosh my my product is better than my competitors because it does five things he can put a table and says it does five ticks and does does two ticks and three right. right. um and that that's cool that's great but i think they haven't really again taken a step back to see what is the lar larger Picture. problem that you're fixing mm -hmm. in either your you know your your little your little bubble your little sector your little company your little um economy mm. of that particular um, sector that the company is working in mm. or, and how can you really really change or move the needle um, 
if if capital can come in and you can change a user's life you can change the company's fortunes you can change your returns to an investor etc okay. and there's some there's some people who just haven't um, I don't think they've ever had anyone talk to them like that or mm. ever had anyone speak like that so they wouldn't know in the first place how to go about that so I think some of them may need coaching and training on just how to sell themselves sell the company so that they mm. can get um, they can at least attract some funding okay. come that way what I'm hearing from me is like it sounds almost as if people are, have a, a much more ta- they're, they're much more tactical and they're not as strategic and, and strategy almost I feel almost always requires a bigger picture right you're trying to go somewhere mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. bigger than your current lo- local maxima if you will mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, and I have always tried to understand why this is the case I mean we Seem to be, we, we have come from a, an environment where people have, for the most part, small businesses relative to um, relative to where maybe where the, the sources of capital are coming from in terms of mm. the comparables, right? Yeah. yeah. Big markets require re, provide big opportunity, and and, and so I guess. I try to kind of understand what the dividing line is here. Why are people? Why can we say that in our market people are less um, are, are less kind of have that view of scale potential? They don't look at it that way. They look at it kind of what I can do in my limited space, a business that I can stretch my arms and reach the ends of. What, what what's the thing? What what's the dividing line here? What what makes that mindset? What reinforces that mindset, sets it up, and, and, and keeps it that way? Do you have a theory on this at all? Or, or, uh, do you, or yeah. may, maybe even I can say a little yeah. bit more to the point. Do you see, when you see people who have that strategic, good storytelling, is there a dividing line? And here I'm going towards local uh, founders versus people who've maybe traveled or even people who've come back from abroad. I mean, what's, is, there, is there something there? Mm, yeah, I think I can answer that question maybe uh, two ways. Mm. So I think the very first one is, it's, it's, I think it's more of a behavioral thing in the sense that um, for these companies that have been running too small, to be honest, most of the time you're on survival mode. Okay. And if you're on survival mode, mode it's very hard for you to see past two, Tomorrow. three months from yep. now, mm-hmm. or past, you know, six months, or even see a year down the line. Mm-hmm. It's not relevant almost, right? It's almost not relevant because you are, to be honest, you're almost fighting almost eating every day. Mm. The thought of you growing actually even scares you because you know mm. you can't even handle what's really really already in your place right now. Yeah. And because you're you have an amazing business, but you know you're always in survival mode, maybe like some suppliers are up in your door, they need to be paid and you have like large receivables. You need guys are telling you you need to wait three or four months. You know, those are the kind of things that will make you not really think about oh okay. my gosh, how am Got I gonna it. get out of this? Got how it. am I gonna get out of this rut? Right. And this is it's more of like a, a behavioral economics thing right. in a way. Right. And, um, actually, this this has also been demonstrated in in um, I think there are a few studies that have been done mm-hmm. on uh, you know why people um, are stuck in poverty because mm. your 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 view is just just here. Mm-hmm. I need just need to survive. Today. I need to get to tomorrow. Yeah. I, I need, need to eat exactly. food. I need to eat food. That's it. Like if if that doesn't work, don't why, tell me about CG vision and this. Yeah. Other don't tell me about oh man, I can change Nairobi or Kenya. <laughs> And the market is this two billion opportunity. I don't want to know about What's that. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing to me. I asked I need my five hundred shillings to get to work, yep. to eat, yep. to go home, and to get something for my kid. That's mm-hmm. what that's what you're thinking about. And mm-hmm. also, you can apply that into business mm-hmm. sense. Totally, because at the end of the day, a business is a human being. Exactly. Yeah. Doing a thing, right? It's doing a thing. Yeah. So if 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 you're always focused on like firefighting and it, 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 and you're in survival mode, that's it's gonna be very very hard for you. To pull yourself out again, right. I keep on saying this, right. but yeah, but you always think about like things strategically. Right. And to your second question about like, um, am I seeing a difference between local founders and guys who have been more exposed or traveled? Mm. Um, to be honest, yeah, there is a bit of a difference, and the the differences are mainly coming in again in what I say storytelling and number two, um, being able to be more strategic than operational. Mm. And uh, I think the guys who are like, really, really troubled of like, you know, have probably um, studied abroad. These guys have actually mastered or have worked with people that have mastered the art of actually being really good managers 
and getting like really good people to help them with things operationally and then them stepping back and us being like a vision carrier mm-hmm. and a storyteller mm-hmm. and like attracting capital to keep on running the business mm-hmm. and also another thing i think i found that people uh, leverage on is um mentors people mm-hmm. who have actually you know gone through this path they have just, they have had the same problems you've had so this is someone that you know can really really shorten your learning curve totally. and you don't have to like um make the same mistakes that they did right. so i think that's the biggest there's the two biggest differences between i see what a local guys who who haven't really have had as much exposure right. um and a few guys who have actually been outside and probably have come back or probably even like um you know foreigners who have actually come to set up here mm. uh, so it's a, one of the things i'm not saying oh that's that is the one that's what really sets them apart but mm. those are the few things that i've seen that have actually helped mm. some of the guys who have been successful in scaling up their companies mm. so fundamentally it's a behavioral thing where yeah i mean your constraints determine your state of mind mm-hmm. pretty much and then uh, exposure also gives you this other different way of how to move through the development of anything you're creating right that mm-hmm. there's a distinction between you know you actually you actually value you actually value talent mm-hmm. in a sense right if yeah. you because you, you've seen how people apply talent attract talent retain talent and they use that as a as the means to move their business forward to move their yeah. enterprise forward to move their vision forward and then they become much more okay this is my role I'm the face of the company I'm attracting capital so there's that kind of structure that people coming from who are returnees or or people who've been exposed to the western way of doing things yeah have yeah it's interesting um cool so so let's talk a little bit now about um what are some of the mistakes and misconceptions investors have right talking about your for mundi experience maybe uh impact investors or people who because most of the money is coming from from abroad and also maybe even a misconception around why local capital doesn't participate so those are two different things right so one is generally speaking what are some of the misconceptions mistakes that people who are deploying capital in emerging markets have all right so i guess that's the first one mm. so in regards to i think some of the mistakes that they have is that um they most of them actually think that um Silicon Savanna works the way the, the real Savanna works. The, the, the Savanna, so, um, what is it? What, Silicon Savanna <laughs> and Silicon, Silicon Valley. <laughs> yes, so they think things, things work the way um, in Silicon Savanna, the same way uh, in the, it does in Savanna, mm. in the African Savanna. Mm. What is it called? Savanna. Yeah. Valley, <laughs> Silicon Valley. <laughs> Silicon Valley. Okay. Yes. Right. Um, so and so then, things uh, work in Nairobi should work the same way in San Francisco. That's exactly. Actually. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You're talking for me. That, right. that, that, that will help. Um, and I think uh, the biggest misconception I've seen is that things will just work with a snap of a finger, mm-hmm. and they haven't really been to on the ground here to really understand. As they say here, yeah. it is a different on the yeah, ground. On the ground. Exactly. <laughs> different and this this type of um remote control <laughs> remote control i love that yeah. you know what i call it air conditioned investing yeah, you go in san francisco exactly. saying yeah. i've sent you the cash uh, i just want to see the quarterly updates on a nice powerpoint and things like that i'm like oh my gosh the, the you will be shown you will be shown things yeah um and i think most of the times is that people don't have a come actually here to set up a local team and mm. i think um not just for formundi i've seen the funds that have set up local teams here have made far more headway than the guys who have, you know who jet in once or twice you know a quarter or three times a quarter that's not that's that's not interesting like, that's speculation exactly and at what point will you actually ever form that intimate relationship not going to happen with that company insights that exactly. you develop cultural nuances exactly when are you when are you going to when are you ever going to get comfortable with the supplier of a pipeline company and him telling you and yeah boss this guy is never supply to me like i, I know i know they brought you to talk to me but they never give you best these guys they, they bring me things that are already spoiled they bring things there's no one who's going to tell you that no, like, they're going to smile with you and tap you on the back say yeah, oh yeah like, this guy's money yeah, yeah and You, you can only do that once you're here on, on the ground. ground and you have either a person who knows the ecosystem so well has the contacts has the partnerships knows how things work here mm-hmm. um knows the, the regulatory mm-hmm. environments the investments uh, that need to be made mm-hmm. that can make that difference so i think those are the biggest um that's one of them i think the second one second difference uh, second maybe mistake that they may make is um they believe that something 
that has shown early signs of promise is going to scale up at the same at the same rate that at the same rates. So we've they're, seen they're used to in the in the in NSF or ex- the Western exactly, world. Exactly, exactly. And we've mm-hmm. seen a lot of companies that have had a lot of fanfare and hype um, because oh, we, when we started off in this com- in this country or in this um, particular product, we were experiencing you know forty percent month on month growth. Mm-hmm. And, but also on a very very small level. Mm-hmm. When once you try and scale that, mm-hmm. and now you know two to three years down the line you see oh we scaled it but the cost of big numbers yeah exactly it doesn't you don't grow at the you don't grow at the rate you're growing (laughs) when you have you know at a certain stage right exactly it's just yeah just makes sense right mm -hmm. it's math exactly and um as you really realize okay the the unit economics at scale and the type of quality you want that's the type of price point that you want you want it to work doesn't really make sense yeah and i think um some of them have to be cognizant to that fact that some of these things will take time. Right. Yeah, and like you, you, you need to account for the things that you don't know because mm-hmm. you wouldn't know until you start them. Mm-hmm. And many people are just like, ah, it's okay. We, I think we figured it out through the pilot, so we're gonna through the pilot. Yeah, 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 the pilot, and so if we're just gonna throw five million dollars into this thing, that's it. The five million dollars times two equals ten, mm. and they know five million dollars times three equal to seven or six or even zero yeah. at the end of the day. Right. Um, so you just have to be so it's basically not a linear path to it's outcomes not, no 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 yeah uh, in the end I can, I can talk about this just based on working in the states in, in startups right you know the fortune 500 you know your market you know you know okay you have you, you have you know how we talk about SME here and sometimes I'm like okay so who fits in the who's in the SME what when you're a startup in the US right you can very granularly define a market and we even in that small market, let's say it's education, let's say it's healthcare, uh, even healthcare is too broad. Any market you define, there'll be a big enough market pool of customers and a path to actually access them to where you can build a sizable company and exit even at $20 million, which nowadays people are talking about unicorns. Most things don't become unicorns. You know, Silicon Valley has been built on the back of small acquisitions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you start a company and you work on it for a couple of years, three years, and you spent maybe a million bucks putting it together and you acquired for 20 million and the investor takes, I don't know, maybe 5 million of that, $15 million is a pretty good situation. That's mm-hmm. life-changing money, right? Yep. So I guess my point is, you know, we don't have a very linear path to outcomes, Right, yeah. because and why? Maybe take it from there. Yeah, Based on what you've seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and that's that's very true. Um, and I think another thing that's very hard for them to see here is uh, exit opportunities. Yeah, that's another. That's, that's another thing. That's another pretty thing. Pretty much. Yeah. We don't have an active. Um, and this is coming from someone who has been in the capital markets. Yeah. We don't have really active capital markets. Right. Actually. So you have to have yeah. the alternative structures? You have to, yeah, so yeah, you're either going to have to start structuring some you know, self-liquidating investments or you, you're just going to have to find a second primary buyer who's much bigger than you, a funder who's bigger than you, or a company that may just fit than you. Right. You may give some synergies in quotes. Right. That's, that's something that else that's disputed these days. Right. Um, and I think uh, just being cognizant of that factor, when you're getting into this, you're not getting, it's not an in-out. Yeah. You're, not, you're not here to put in your $2 million and then, you know, 24, 36 months down the line, you're, 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 you're moving $10 million. Right. Um, we've seen in the past almost 10 years that those types of exits haven't have been happening very few and apart. Mm. Transactions have happened and you have to stick through it, especially as the company goes through tough times. Right. And most of these companies have gone through tough times where they may come back to you saying, okay, the original plan didn't work. We need an additional X amount for us to get to that level because yeah. we've learned this and this and this now. Yeah. And we've seen some of these really big companies with, you know, they've raised X and X millions of dollars, but then they're not break even because they spent so much money and they had, at least they had the, the added cushion to do so, mm. but they spent so much money making so many mistakes mm-hmm. to the point to that they managed to actually now, I'm like, okay, cool. Now we got it. Now we know what the product is. We know what the right organizational structure is. Now we, we know how to run lean. But you've done that after burning almost $60, 50000000 million. Wow. And once you, you, know, you get into that point, 
you have a new entrant coming in and they're just seeing they've learned seen all everything, everything you've done and <laughs> they'll set up with three four million dollars and very soon we'll start eating away at your market share. so thank you for talking about our strategy <laughs> Impact Africa Network. Um, and I was just going to ask you, like, yeah. of course, you know, to the, to the extent you can generalize that statement and say, as an ecosystem which constitutes all these startups and all yeah. these learnings, how, how we have moved further down the road than where we were 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. So there's opportunity for what you call second followers, fast followers, to actually do what you're saying, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, how would you kind of, in, if you can, quantify that across domains, industries? So one is, you know specifically it's industry how it works, right? These are the pitfalls, this is what you need to do, a specific thing that you're trying to do. One is just general. This is how you, this is how you mitigate risk in terms of market research, da 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 all the things you can do before you actually make start plowing money into a situation. One is more generalized, one is more okay, industry specific. Where do you think we are in that curve? If you were to compare, if you can give us some kind of context mm. in terms of our maturation around knowing how to not blow money oh, as the, an ecosystem. The, yeah, yeah, in general, yeah. Mm. Hmm. I think to be honest, we're a bit far off, to be honest. I think this is mainly because Wow. Um, even if you can do your research, etc., etc., mm. uh, I feel like the people who have gone before you, who are much larger, mm. um, are now cognizant that they made things easier for the people to follow them. Right. And what I've seen happen is that they start this people who have gone before you start now focusing on um, efficiency, optimization, mm-hmm. making themselves more lean, mm-hmm. bringing the costs down. To a point where the prices are just so uncompetitive mm. and it doesn't make sense for a new competitor to come in mm. and by doing so they try to create a moat mm-hmm. so um and i've seen this now starting to happen with a few other companies where mm-hmm. like you, you'll see like in in, in um, let's say in renewable energy or mm-hmm. even in agriculture or even in logistics and distribution mm-hmm. some of the companies that have gone ahead yes they want money but then they realize but now they're trying to, to build a moat around them mm-hmm. either through like end to end exactly pricing end-to-end capturing the full supply and value chain and controlling that mm-hmm. and locking in the, the required resources or raw materials that needs for that needs to happen mm-hmm. and a new a new business trying to come up we have to be super nimble to be able to to outmaneuver this kind of um, defense strategies mm-hmm. that is bigger companies that have put up mm. and uh, being nimble means um, wow <laughs> it does mean imagination and creativity right. at the highest level like you have to it's either you tap into your networks you, you, you're trying to form partnerships with other people to actually counter what these bigger companies are doing right and you and can I do think, so yeah, better, yeah you can do so with like better customer service so you can do so yes even with um, faster reaction times, you can mm-hmm. do so probably even at the same pricing. Or maybe slightly more, but you're adding, you're adding slightly more benefits. You, you, just, you need to be creative with it mm-hmm. for you to actually counter what this big is. Yeah, I mean, the way I think about businesses, I, I, I guess okay, well, you always want to be in a business. If, if, if you look at the history of business, big companies tend to always somehow not get disrupted, but some of their market share over time gets eaten away in certain areas where somebody's doing something better and more efficiently. So maybe not going through the front door, but coming in through the side and, and, and that type of thing. That's just, I think, the evolution of business. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, But anyway, let's, let's kind of stop being philosophical about that yeah. and kind of talk, get, get to the nitty-gritty here. So now, Moringa, you've been at Moringa for how long? Uh, no, just over a year. Okay. Yeah, just over a year. Cool. And, and you left the investment side to come to the operational side? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's... Yeah, that's a very interesting kind of. Um, how did you? Why did you make that decision? Because usually, people move. I think the other direction in general. Mm-hmm. You would say people come from operation, operational side and then become investors because being an investor appears to be easier, but it 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 probably not in our market. Because it's not it's not what you call remote control investing. Yeah, yeah you have yeah, to. Yeah. But anyway, so you so you made this move, and what's that been like? Well, first of all, why did you make that decision? Hmm. So that's a good that's a good question. I think personally, I 
I was very happy being an investor, to mm. be honest. Mm. So that it was something that was pushing me away. Mm. Um, I I was very intrigued by the challenges that operational that the operational challenges that our companies offer, especially a company that has so much promise um, to grow. Mm. And I wanted to be part of that story. I wanted to understand. Okay, what are these pitfalls? Like, yes, I think you can only see them. You can only see them to a certain extent. Uh, when you're From outside, the outside as yeah. an investor, mm. but once you get in, that's when you really know. Oh my gosh, yeah, there's there's so much work to be done here for you to get to a level where people are looking at you like, yeah, you're someone I want to invest in, or yeah, that's a product or service that I want to use. Mm. Um, and that that challenge really appealed to me. Um, and to be honest, it's not been easy. It's the challenge that is that it's the challenge and much more that I got that greeted me in the door once I came in. Mm. Um, and yeah, so actually, <coughs> being, being, so looking back. I was in a very privileged position to be an investor. Uh, it's much easier, right? Yeah, yeah, I feel like it made me much a bit, a bit easier. Not like very easy, but it was a bit easier sitting on the other side, asking questions, um, you know, sitting in the board, and just saying, "Yeah, yes, I think." I think this should, should happen. Yeah, I think this should happen. I think now you have a honest, you have a whole other respect for. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Now I have a lot of respect for entrepreneurs, too, people who build companies to at any scale, actually. I have so much respect for them, so much respect for them, because things are easier said than done. Totally. So, yeah, anyway, as an investor, it's easier for you to, see, to sit in the boardroom and, and say, oh, I think, why don't we just reduce this cost by 20% and become profitable? But for you, you know, but to the point you're getting that, the kind of, um, the kind of repercussions and the mosaic effect of doing that. The systemic it's, it's, impact. It's, it's, it's so huge. Right. Um, that it, first of all, it has to be phased out. There's so many you know, parties that you need to discuss, communication, yeah. communicate, align before such a thing happens. Um, and I think being on this other side now has actually made me cognitive of, of, of the kind of what you know, we, we just used to throw a word, the word, the words mm-hmm. efficiency, alignment, optimization, mm-hmm. um, um, process mapping. We, we used to throw this word these big around. words, buzzwords, yeah, those, those big buzzwords. And now, when you get in, you're just like, Whoa, this is this thing is actually it's it's a whole other thing. It's like it's like it's like studying one subject matter in, in like five different ways in five different situations that have. All answers, all look, look right in your head, mm-hmm. and you need to decide which one is best for the company. And that, that takes a lot of work. That's not that easy. That takes a lot of work. That's not easy at yeah. all, yeah. So what have been your, what, what have you, I guess, maybe you kind of hit on it. One thing you've had to unlearn coming from the investment side, just, I know you've kind of talked about mm-hmm. a bunch of them, but mm-hmm. just one thing that you, in general, like, you've had to unlearn. Oh, um, hmm, I think one of the things I've had to unlearn is, I think don't take everything at face value. Mm-hmm. To be honest, you you always have to look past that and see what's what's the real story behind this number, Got and it. why you always have to ask the questions: Why is the product like this in the first place? Mm-hmm. What involved for for things to get to this point? Mm-hmm. Don't, don't what's the story behind? What's the story behind where we are and where we where we're going? Right. Um, and I think as an investor, you you tend to just be told, oh. It's okay, we decided to go this route. And like, okay, because it makes more money. Okay, and then you're told a very high level answer, oh, we, we discovered it was much easier um, because we saved X and X costs. Okay, that's cool. But now when you come in into the other side, you now have to figure out, like I was talking about earlier, what are the, all the, 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 what's the repercussion on all the other elements that went into this mm. when you decided to go this route or to, to start this new route or mm. to stop these other routes. Mm. And... Um, that that takes so much of uh, people's time trying to figure that out, to be honest. So I think asking tougher questions is the thing that I have to learn. Mm, mm. Asking tougher and deeper questions is mm, what I have to learn. Mm, 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 mm. And, and what surprised you the most about being an operator, about the operational side? That we take for granted what. Laying a foundation means. Okay. And I think for me that's been the most important, like in my department specifically and in the company specifically. Um, laying a foundation is like one of the most paramount things that you can do to set yourself up for growth. Okay. G- and, give us an example of what that means, maybe in your department. For, for example, what does laying a foundation mean? 
So like in, in your department, for example, you may, you may come in and you may find, yeah, like this has been working. Like it's, it's been working, but in a sort of a clumsy manner. Ad hoc way. Yeah, in a kind of like an ad hoc clumsy way. And then you realize that if we are to hit, let's say we want to triple or uh, do times 10 our numbers next year, then you realize and you start working backwards and like, oh my gosh, there's no way. This process is even going to break if we just increase it times three. Right. And when you start realizing these things early enough, you start, you start bringing in people and systems early enough to fix this problem before it becomes, before you're dealing with it when, you know, it does, you don't need to be dealing with it. Right. And, you know, this is especially like in my department, you know, you think about like a proper ERP, a proper person who's coming, you know, to, to implement policies, proper financial manuals, ETC, things that are making things quick, fast, easy to move, accurate, timely, ETC. Mm. And when you're doing that on a small scale, it's very hard for you to think, ah, yeah. at some point, I may need to bring in, um, let's say, a financial controller mm. and pay them X amount. Mm. You know, thinking, ah, financial controllers, are just, they're, they're cheap. But no, to get a really good, like, let's say, financial controller, who knows what they're doing, uh, who's going to set up a proper accounting system, a pro proper capacity in the team to handle the types of transactions that you envision in the next 20, 12 to 24 months. That takes time. Mm. They need to, get, you know, come in, get themselves, understand the business, orient themselves, then build in the processes. So by the time it's 12, 24 months down the line, these guys have had so much of building that they know, okay, cool, we can now withstand the pressure that's going to come mm, mm. Uh, with, with increased numbers. Yeah, so that's, um, that's amazing. So yeah. these are some of the kind of skills that uh, I would say are kind of growing in our ecosystem, right? People understanding how to put right, the right structures that can support the, I guess, the... The, uh, the building that you're setting up, the skyscraper that you're trying, that you're trying to put in place. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's so interesting because the when, the when to bring those, those kind of uh, capabilities into your organization is also another kind of very interesting dance. You yeah. gotta, you, you, you got to kind of figure that out. So mm -hmm. What's been your experience with that? Like, when do you bring certain resources in? Have you kind of, have you been exposed to that decision-making, decision point of... Um, yeah, definitely. I have been exposed to it. Um, I, I think we go through it all the time. Mm. We have like some really, really big. Um, we call them. I'm wearing we call them big, hairy, audacious goals. Yeah, yeah, Jim yeah. Collins. Yeah. Collins. Um, and uh, it's it's quite a balancing act because you're just really trying to look at the resources that you have right now and what you can accommodate and what's like super important for you to what's like a non -negoti negotiable and what's like a nice to have. Mm. And once you, you really drill down on oh, this is a non-negotiable and this is a nice to have, you focus on the non-negotiable and you, you focus on all the resources and, and, and energies needed to bring that non-negotiable in place. So mm -hmm. if you need to you know, go back to your investor and tell them, look, I had not anticipated for this idea, but for us to go to where we're going, and, this, and that's a non-negotiable, we need to have this in place. Mm -hmm. um, we need funds for this ETC, mm ETC. -hmm. And I think that's, again, always in that mindset of always trying to step back and working backwards from where you want to go to where you are right now um, and, and trying to put those structures in place early enough. Um, so you always have to have those guiding principles around what is like super, super important right now mm -hmm. and what can wait. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and, that, and that's what's, it's going to give you a, a bit of guidance as to... How to make decisions. Exactly. Okay. And so variability, just kind of the dynamics of working in a, on the operational side of a growing entity. Mm -hmm. What's that? What's that experience been like? How how, <laughs> how fast things change? How oh, dynamic man. is the environment? It's it's um it's very very wow. It's it's I think to be honest, where I work is one of the most fast paced environments mm. ever. Mm. And um, I say this because um, we have done so much in the past what 12, 13 months, mm. and even before I joined the company, I've done so much. Mm -hmm. And um, the pressure is real in terms of like the timelines and the goals that you, you we, we want to meet. Mm -hmm. And it, we, we, we try our very best to provide a conducive environment. Mm -hmm. But if you're a pioneer in doing something and um, they're not, there are no close comparables mm -hmm. to draw benchmarks to mm -hmm. or people who have done exactly what you're doing. And I think that's, and that's a case for many entrepreneurs out there as well. Mm -hmm. um, you'll find yourself questioning yourself so much mm -hmm. as to what direction to take. Mm. And you'll find yourself groping in the dark for any ounce of proof points or data to get there. And 
that's one element. And then you throw in another element to throw us funding into the works of um, the business is, is pivoting in different ways that you did not imagine even three months ago, four mm-hmm. months ago. Mm-hmm. And these this pivots are happening in very, very... Rapid fashion. Ra- yeah, very rapidly. Um, you're having very short intervals between these pivots. It's right. every time. Things wow. that you did not anticipate wow. and change. Mm-hmm. And you're always finding yourself, okay, that was three months ago. Now it's two months now. I, I brought in this person. I made this investment. I don't feel like, do we repurpose it? Do we... Do we continue? Do we sell it off, or do we now that we have this person on board, uh, can we optimize on another skill? Maybe it's not even, or maybe now we need another person. And um, being, to be honest, being that's it's it's very hard. It's very hard, and we've had um, cases of getting people people getting very tired because they're doing like four or five jobs, and that's what happens mm-hmm. in a startup. Because you'll have like four or five jobs, um, you'll be pulled in five different directions, and you need. To, it gets to a point where you need to say, okay, cool, now we need a person to solely mm. focus on this mm-hmm. and run with this mm. so that I can focus my attention on this. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's quite the balancing act, really chaotic, but um, it can be fun. Mm-hmm. It can mm-hmm. be fun, yeah. yeah. This there is so interesting. There'll be, there'll be a lot of emotions going around the room, to be right, honest. There'll right. be a lot of emotions going around the room. <laughs> um, it's never easy. <laughs> it's never easy. Uh, and uh, I'm sure to all the entrepreneurs listening out there, mad respect to all of you guys who, who have managed to get to this point. Right. Um, you also, you guys need to come on this podcast and tell us how you guys managed to do it. Because <laughs> your stories help, the, man. Because it helps people say, "Man, I'm not crazy." So and so is going. William's yeah. going through this. Yeah, and uh. you, you you find yourself becoming a, a subject expert on one area. Like I. Almost at some certain point became like the lawyer. <laughs> no, that clause doesn't make sense. This clause doesn't make sense. But I'm supposed to be wearing my finance hat right. now because I'm I'm being I'm being pulled to a totally different direction. Right. Uh, you you some things start falling through the cracks. Right. And at the end of the day, it's you who has to pick them up. Pretty much. So um, there is a lot of frustration in, in, in doing this. There'll be yeah. there'll be a lot of chaos. Yeah, and this is a great kind of. So one of the things I try to do as we are doing our own thing, building our own startup and, and growing, is helping our team get comfortable with this variability, you know? Because it's, it's, not, it's not what we are taught to expect work will look like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And so um, the way, yeah, so, so this is one of the things I kind of try and if, immunize uh, our people with, the variability, because things are changing, they're dynamic, they're moving, and so on and so forth. So I guess the question I would ask for you is like, you know, uh, Given how people are educated in our in our space in our in our world, right? Um, you know how big is the how big is the gap between what you're experiencing right now and the mindset of you know people who people who are coming into the work world or working at a startup, right? You know, corporate is very structured. People come from very structured environments, education-wise, and then you're thrown into this thing, right? You know, how big is that gap between the mindset of of where people are coming from coming into the work world? Or even coming from corporate, so to speak. That's a good, that's a really, I think, I'm happy you're asking me that because I work at uh, Moringa. And Moringa, one of the big things we, we actually teach, um, we teach you how to learn. Mm-hmm. So we actually, the, the thing is, we teach you how to be, to adapt to new situations, to understand new concepts, understand, because we, we are, the way the mod- learning modules are done is that they're always throwing new things at you and you're always... You're teaching yourself how to learn. Like, mm-hmm. Yes, you're being given content, but you need to go above and beyond mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and practice and do things and, and, and such. For Become a craftsperson. Exactly. And I think that's one of the big, big elements that is needed from someone moving from a corporate, very structured area to like a startup world. Or even from the or education even, space, university. Straight from university, straight to here. Because even in university, you, as you may know, I've gone through university. Um, yeah, it's not the typical Kenyan one, but I do know you come out in a very structured way, and mm. you feel that the world is an ordered place that I should fit place, into. And yeah. there are like the policies and manuals for everything. You know what to do. You know, you know, you, you know what to do. Like there are the directions at every turn. Right. You know, <laughs> there are signs. There are signs. Like you've been, you've been told. You know everything. And things don't turn that often. You know, yeah, you're yeah, usually yeah. On, a, on a highway. Exactly. Right? And you know, if you if you go into a bank that's been there for hundred plus years or forty plus years, you're going to, yeah, you'll probably find that. Right. Um, but if you if you're going out there, maybe as an entrepreneur, going there into a startup, 
oh, you're gonna find that that's that's really not the case. Not at all. And yeah. you have to be as malleable and flexible as as dough. Yeah. Like you need to fit in into that shape. Right. Um. If that's what is required for you of you at that moment, right. you need to become good at it. And after that, you, you need to also understand that. Uh, I'm gonna change again. Like right. Things are gonna things are gonna move. Don't get comfortable. I, exactly. Don't get comfortable. The company is gonna change, and my my position is gonna change. It's gonna require a new skill for me. So you find so many guys, you know, logging into Coursera, Udemy, guys, you know, doing. Oh, I wanna do a financial modeling course online. Oh, I wanna do um, digital marketing course online. Because you you see so many guys upscaling. You see so many guys. Oh, now I wanna learn how to code. Because now you have to be really, really super flexible mm-hmm. in how things are changing. Mm-hmm. In the yeah, that's the twenty first century, right? Yep. Like. Yep. It's an innovation, entrepreneurship world that we we are kind of really in, mm-hmm. right? Because in a very real way, a lot of the legacy businesses are, are struggling yeah. to keep up. Yeah. Right? There's yeah. a new shift. There's it's new real way. across the board, mm-hmm. right? What an exciting time to be alive. Right? Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah building building the, the African future. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Pe- with people like you, man, I'm so excited about what we're going to do together. Yeah, um, same I, here. I look forward to a, to a long-lasting partnership, friendship. You've been so helpful to me in so many different ways. Always available. Just a, just a top-notch dude. Um, and, and, and for me, uh, I, I, my vision, man, is to just build a network of capable people and we will do great things. That's it. Yeah, I believe so. Right? And I'm very happy with what you've done with Impact Africa. I keep on saying um, it's, it's, it's not too many people who have come and actually created a community what, and, and, and talk about what startups are going through. I think um, you've done an amazing thing, actually. Thank you for coming back home. No, <laughs> no man. And we haven't started this yet, so it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the challenges we're going through as an organization is uh, people think we do podcasts. <laughs> right? They don't realize that podcasts are a very strategic thing for us because yeah. it's, it, it gives us presence, exactly. right? Yeah. But also it serves the communities, our CSR, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. We see this podcast as potentially the first uh, I guess toehold into becoming a, into building a media company so at Impact Africa Network what we do is we we, we build companies we incubate talent yeah. and put them into a structured process we're a startup studio to, to build companies and now I've already told you what I was going to ask you so <laughs> I'm asking all our guests yeah. what do you what does Impact Africa Network do what do you know what do you think we do um, I think you guys do a lot of hand holding to entrepreneurs on what they're supposed, on the, the key skills, skills they're supposed to know to scale their businesses. So I feel like you guys are um, an earlier stage incubator than most of the other incubators out there. So I, th- I feel like you guys really foster the idea, the ideation stage and get, and get these guys, you expose them to either mentors or you try to bring them and try to equip them with the skills early enough. Uh, before you know, putting them out there to the next point of growth. Mm. So I feel, am I right? Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, you're kind of touching on some of the key themes, but fundamentally, yeah. what it is is we we take in. I don't believe, like, if you look at some, if you look at some, the, the founder of the company you work at, right? Yeah. They hadn't done it before, mm-hmm. and they just decided to do it, and they were yeah. learning on the job. So there is no kind of stage where you become the person who can start something. Right. Mm. If you are, if you, I think if you, I think if you even reach high, if you graduate high school, I mean, I don't even know. There's no level. So my view is like, I, I decided to say, okay, look, we have a lot of young talent in our in our market coming out of campus. Very capable people. They are just not uh, exposed to a situation that can uh, allow them to learn the process of creating and building something. Now you could do that in theory, take people to to Strathmore schools, whatever, whatever, or or you could just say, hey, let's just build companies. Yeah. So it's fundamentally we're a startup studio, mm-hmm. and our core is to just provide these internships where we are working on building companies. That's it. There, there is no. And this company is in-house. In-house, in-house, oh, right? So it's not about like in. I don't believe this notion that they're these magical. Of course, they are very talented entrepreneurs, but that's a small percentage of the population. Most people, most startups are not built by one person, as you know, right? Yeah. In fact, startups are not built by one person. They're teams. Yeah. And so from right from the beginning, we optimize for teams of people to work on a market opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much about the freaking idea. People always ask, whose idea is it? Yeah. Idea? It's, not, it's about execution. So what we do is we take young talent, put them into this environment, focus on market opportunities from market research. Some of them are already kind of... They're just, there are a lot of great companies that are not being built yet. Mm-hmm. So are we going to wait for somebody to say, I'm going to be the one building it? We, we just go after opportunities as we see them. Yeah. 
and we provide 12 month internships and we uh, have this process where we give a, an idea or an opportunity to 12 months to live and then that timeline we're going from market research to traction mm-hmm. that's the whole that's the whole move mm-hmm. uh, impact africa network has stake in these companies that's our long-term sustainability plan we're set up as a non-profit um, but you know yeah that's what we're doing and, and even our, our people have stake in those companies uh, at a small level um, but yeah that's what we do so I'm, I'm, I've, I've been challenged with this notion of now telling the public what Impact Africa Network is. We're a startup studio, and our mission is very simple. We want to change the African narrative, build great African companies, establish an ecosystem of high performance, high integrity, and high collaboration. And, and, the, and, and yeah, if you go to our website, you'll see what we say is we're on a mission to ensure that young, talented Africans, people on the continent, have a chance at participating in the digital transformation of Africa as creators and owners, and not just as consumers of that transformation. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do. Oh, I love it. Awesome. I love it, yeah, I love it for real. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you so much for coming through. Thank you. And um, 